One of the things that Jesus did when he walked among us in the flesh was to heal the diseases and the disabilities of many people. Many kinds of disabilities and diseases he encountered and he overcame. We read of leprosy, epilepsy, palsy, hemorrhaging, crippled limbs, hearing impairment, blind eyes. And there are stories about each of these being encountered by Jesus, being touched by Jesus, and being healed. But one of these afflictions is mentioned more often than any other, the afflictions of blindness. In the four Gospels, Jesus heals no less than seven different people of blind eyes. Now, is it a coincidence that the early church tells and retells the stories of sightless eyes being touched and being healed and opened? Or are they trying to tell us that Jesus came to open our eyes and to teach us how to see? To see God, to see ourselves, and to see the people in the world with whom we live. Most of us simply do not see clearly and deeply. We don't see people as Christ did. We see types of people. We see surfaces of people. Their skin, their mass, the persona that they project, the persona that we project on them. But it is hard for us, it is very hard, given our habits, our prejudices, our, our lazy ways of seeing. It is hard for us to see the screens to the real people who live behind them. Jesus came, among other things, to touch our eyes and to teach us how to see people. He came to show us how to look at people with God's eyes. Some of you might remember that old Bible verse we learned when we were kids. Man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Well, the call of Christ, and if we'll have it, the gift of Christ, is the habit of seeing people deeply and well. Because that is the secret of loving people, is learning to see them more deeply. Do any of you know about that word respect? Now, I am the one of those, because of the generation that I grew up in, that I cannot even think of that word respect without thinking of Aretha Franklin's song, R-E-S-P-E-C, find out what that means to me? Well, I found out what it means. Literally, the word respect comes from the two Latin parts, spectera, to look, ras spectera, to look again. To respect someone is to take another look to see them more deeply than you did before, which is the secret of respect and love. When our daughter was about three years old, she was trying to have a conversation with her dad while he was reading the newspaper. And he never took his eyes off the paper. And she was just standing there firing all these questions that three-year-olds do. Daddy, why this? Daddy, Daddy, why that? And he's you know, looking at the paper going, uh-huh, uh-huh, right, uh-huh. And finally... She gets his attention by grabbing the paper out from his hands and saying, Daddy, you have to listen to me with your eyes. Jesus is our pattern for how to listen with the eyes, how to respect and how to love. In order for us to be faithful communicators of the love of God in our world, this is essential. 
Many of us will never find voice for that love until we learn to see deeply with that love through the eyes of God. This morning, I want us to take a look at how Jesus saw deeply and reached deeply with the Samaritan woman whom he met one day at Jacob's well. It was noontime, it was hot, and Jesus had been walking all morning long on this hot and dusty road, and now he is tired and he stops to rest at the village well. His disciples go on into town to buy some food, but Jesus, the text says, is tired, and he wants to sit and rest for a while. And here comes that person, right up to the place where he was resting, and they have a conversation, and the conversation changes her life. But all of this happens while he is trying to get some rest. Sharing faith is not something you do when you go out ready and strong and equipped with a plan. Sharing faith is what you do whenever you find yourself with people, people who need faith. It is what you do when you are interrupted. It is what you do when you are tired. It is what you do when you have other things on your mind. It is not having an agenda. It is improvising. It is learning to respond to the people who are there whom you are learning to see. It is finding the freedom to abandon your agenda in order to be present with someone that God has called you to see. Now notice how Jesus begins with her. To see someone well, you cannot place yourself above them. You cannot stand in some power position focused on what you know and they don't and what they need that you don't. To see someone well, you join them. You stand beside them with a sense of your own need too. You approach them with humility. And this is how Jesus begins by speaking, first of all, not of her need, but of a need of his, and honoring her by conferring on her the power to help him in his need. He begins with humility. Give me something to drink. You know the famous definition of evangelism given by D.T. Niles. Evangelism is one beggar sharing with another beggar where bread might be found. Jesus knew how to begin with women and men by honoring them by his sense of being there beside them as a fellow beggar too. His starting point is eye-level kinship and mutual need. From above her, he might have said, Lady, your life is a mess. But from beside her, what he says is, Give me something to drink. Now you could have knocked her over with a feather. You're talking to me, she says. You're talking to me? People like you are not supposed to talk to people like me. You're a Jew. You're a man. I'm a Samaritan. I'm a woman. We, we don't talk. No. No, we don't talk if we don't ever see past the surfaces of each other. If we don't ever see deeper than the masks we wear, we've got nothing to say. Now, according to convention, these two people at the well ought to be having three different layers of differences between them. Three masks apiece. A mask of race, 
a mask of religion, and a mask of gender. And with that many layers of protected differences, there's no real possibility of deep conversation. So what Jesus does is to put aside the mask. He simply doesn't wear them. Race, religion, gender, gone. And he shows her a human being. And she still holds up her mask, as she has been taught so well to do, as we've all been taught so well. But Jesus has the eyes of God, and he knows how to look through those masks straight to the human heart. Martin Luther King's words, I have a dream that my poor little children will one day live in a nation where they are not judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. This is Jesus' way of seeing, and it is a way that we learn to see if the hands of Jesus have truly touched our heart. So looking through the surface to the center of her life, he now says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who said to you, give me a drink, you would ask him, and he would have given you a drink of living water. Hmm. What a strange thing to say. It's kind of a riddle. It's playful, mysterious. Now he has some news for her, but he won't tell her straight up with a lecture. He intrigues her with it by suggestion. He doesn't overpower. He opens a conversation. He doesn't inform her. He invites her to ask and to wonder. And she says, okay, I'll bite. Where are you going to get water to give me? You've got no bucket, you've got no rope, and the well is deep. She doesn't know it yet, but she's the well. And Jesus is slowly lowering the bucket deeper and deeper into her. Whoever drinks of the water I give is never thirsty again, he says. It is like a spring that wells up deeper into you, inside to eternal life. Now, she has absolutely no idea what he's talking about, but she's intrigued. She's been living a pretty thirsty life. Please, sir, give me this water that I might not be so thirsty. Well, is it time to tell her what the water is? She's asked, is it time to tell her? No. It's time to lower the conversational bucket a little deeper into her life, and so he says, go and get your husband and come back. Well, I don't have a husband. I know. You've had five husbands, and the man that you're living with now you were not married to. Now her eyes had to have been as big as saucers at that point. She is amazed at what he has seen through her and what he has said to her. And maybe... She is amazed at what he has not said to her. Do you imagine, just for a moment, she braces herself against hearing words like adulteress, sinner, shame. But there is not a word of that. There is not a syllable of commentary on her morals. Why? Because all of that is too outward. And Jesus is not looking like all the rest of us do at that. He is looking through it to a heart, to a life, 
to a future. And some in the church are always shocked and outraged and all incensed about the lifestyles and the morals of the people out there. And Jesus would say to us today, grow up. Grow up and get on with the main thing of loving them for God's sake. We prove how bad we are at this by what we assume about this woman. What do you assume about her? What the text says is she had five husbands and is living with someone whom she is not married with. That's what the text says. What assumptions do you make about her morals? Any assumptions about her? Did you know that it is possible, in fact, most likely, that she has been abandoned, widowed, abused, or thrown out, or any combination thereof, by those five husbands? And as for her current relationship, a woman in that day was nothing at all without a man. It is very likely that the man she is with is refusing to offer her the dignity of a marriage. Look at the surface. And maybe what you think you see is a loose woman, as we say. But look beneath the surface, and what you see is what Jesus saw. A very different kind of face, a different kind of heart, and a very real wound. Jesus doesn't point to promiscuity here, because he always points deeper. And at her, he points to the very depth of her pain. And now that the raw nerve of her life has been reached, what does she want to talk about? Well, she wants to talk about faith. Now, please notice that Jesus has not said one word about God. Not one overt word about faith. But you see, you go with someone down to the gates of their pain, and this is where the conversation most easily turns. She wants to talk about faith. Only like most people, she doesn't know how. Her instinct is to be reaching for something about God, but all she knows to do is to talk about religions. And so she begins to say this thing about, well, my people say this temple, and your people say that temple, and who do you suppose is right? And if you have conversations with people that turn towards the issue of faith, they might ask you questions like that too. What about all the different religions? Why all the contradictions in the Bible? What happens to the people who die before they've ever heard about Jesus? What about all the hypocrites in church? And if you are wise, you will follow the path of Jesus who knew to look past someone's religious concerns to the deeper thirst for spirit and for truth. So like him, we will not argue, we will not debate. Like him, we will not linger on the surface of things, but let the conversation be lowered more deeply to the issues of spirit and of truth and of a relationship with the living God. So we will go deeper than doctrine, deeper than religious practices, to that personal thirst for spirit and God's truth. Having reached the very center then, it begins to dawn on her who he might be. And she speaks of the Messiah, and he knows where that word comes from in her. It doesn't come from any of her defenses. It doesn't come from any of her masks. 
It is rising up from the very heart that he has just touched. And so now we hear the words, here I am, here I am. And she turns and she runs back to the village and she finds all the people who live there. And this is wonderful. Who knows how she used to see them, whether she saw them as strangers or acquaintances or gossips, but now she sees them as neighbors, as kin to her, as those who have the same need that she has, for the one has taught her who she is. Do you notice her invitation to them? Come and see. Come and see. That's about all she has to say. It's all she knows to say. But it's okay, and it's enough just saying what you know. Now, in the meantime, back at the well with Jesus, the 12 clueless disciples have returned, who with their usual depth perception are instantly stuck on the question, why was he talking to a woman? Now, remember what he says to them. Remember his answer. Lift up your eyes. Lift up your eyes. What do you see here? A woman? A, a village full of strangers? People who don't seem like you? Look again. Lift up your eyes. I'll tell you what to see. Behind every door, behind every surface, is a heart as ripe as can be for God's love and your labor. Lift up your eyes. And here, I think that we have left the story of the Samaritan village and the well and are instantly back in Westchester, Ohio, in this beautiful, beautiful house of prayer. And the Son of God is here, leaning not against a well, but against a table, pointing us to towns and neighborhoods and offices and schools and saying, I am sending you here. I am sending you to see lives and hearts ripe for my hunger, for my love, and for your love. So see them as they are. See them as God sees them deep. And sit with them and really hear them. And when you converse with them, let it not be a conversation with masks on the surfaces, but with a lowering of Jesus' love into the depths of their need with the abundance of all God's grace. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, you have seen us clean through every secret, every sin, every wound, every need. You have seen it all and touched it with healing grace. So teach us to see our neighbors as you have seen us and to share with them their deepest need and your deepest love. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.